0: Welcome to All Shall Be Well, a conversation hosted by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions, giving voice to women seeking to live fully into their God-given callings and be a redeeming influence, whether in the university or beyond. This is Caroline Trissick, and our guest for this episode of All Shall Be Well is author and poet Lucy Shaw. I was first introduced to Lucy Shaw's work as a 19-year-old college student at InterVarsity's Cedar Campus in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I received a signed copy of her compilation of poetry, Polishing the Petoskey Stone, as a prize for being the first to write out all of the scriptures that contained the phrase one another during a week of training to become a small group Bible study leader. This was in the days, of course, before we could just hop onto the internet and do a quick Google or Bible Gateway search. And I can still picture the handwritten list in my head of the 36 passages I was able to find that helped expand my understanding of what it means to love one another. And to receive Lucy's poetry as a prize was a better gift than I could have imagined. Now, almost 20 years later, I had the privilege and honor to virtually sit down and chat with Lucy— Listen into our conversation as she offers the lifetime of wisdom and her thoughts for us as women in academia related to spiritual formation, friendship, the creative life, and the space between faith and doubt. She also graces us by reading a handful of her not yet published poems. Enjoy. To begin, can you share a little bit about yourself, including some of your faith journey, and then also what led you to become a writer?
1: Uh, well, I'm I'm 90 years old, so I've got a long life history to talk about, and I don't intend to burden you with all of that, but I was the daughter of parents who were missionaries from the Solomon Islands. My father was a surgeon, and he and my mother had me much later in life. Uh, he was 60 when I was born, and I was his first child, and so... We lived in England, Australia, Canada, so there was a lot of moving around and a lot of instability, actually, in my life and in, in my education because a lot of that got interrupted at <laughs> different times. I grew up in a very, very conservative kind of evangelicalism, really a fundamentalism that uh, didn't allow for questions or for ideas beyond, you know, that... The what was considered appropriate for a woman, mm-hmm. particularly. Women were uh, not to have ideas, they were not to ask questions. If they had questions, they were asked to ask her husbands and see <laughs> uh, and just be in submission to them. So after I was in college, I got married to my husband, Harold, and we were still in this same group the Plymouth Brethren, and seeing my frustration with this way of this kind of, seeing my frustration, he said, let's go find a church where God can use both of our gifts. So that was a big freeing movement movement for me just before Harold's death. He died in 1986, and I became an Episcopalian just before his death. And I think it gave him a great sense of relief that I was in a faith community where I could be supported and where I could have some freedom of expression and freedom of activity. So that that was a big part. Now, since then, I've continued to be an Episcopalian. I think God has opened up a lot of wideness and freedom in my faith journey. I'm not so bound to. I'm not so bound to rules and regulations. I'm just enjoying the freedom of of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what led me to become a writer? My <laughs> my dad did love my writing from the earliest days. I think when I was three, I was starting to put words together. So nothing led me to be a writer except the fact that that was an ingrown gift Mm -hmm. that I was given from the beginning, and I I used it. And my dad did love my poetry, and he he was a doctor. He carried it around in his briefcase to uh, share with his friends and encouraged me. As I, you know, as I grew and was in different schools, I was always good with English and literature. Not mm-hmm. so good with mathematics or anything like that. So that that's a little bit. If, if Any other questions? Does that ask, sure. answer your question?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's great to hear just how encouraging your father was from even such a young age. As I think about my, my own children, I have one son who's very much interested in becoming a writer. And oh, yeah, good. Related to that journey of becoming a writer, we hear from a lot of women, particularly mothers, who struggle to carve out time to pursue their dreams. What advice would you give to a woman who longs to write or create another type of art, but also feels constrained by family or work responsibilities?
1: Uh, I often get this question. I had four children in six years, and then 10 years later, another child. So, and and I was, uh, uh, my husband and I were running our own publishing company, so my life was extremely scheduled and, and busy. My idea is that as, just keep, Keep notes. Keep journal. Notes, keep photographs to, to document the life of your children when they're small. You know you're not going to be able to do any major work of literature at that point. But if you're keeping it, keeping track of what's going on, you're actually filling up a treasure chest of memories and experience um, that will be. You can tap into that. Uh, Later life, when you have more freedom and more time, I don't think it's, anything is ever lost, uh, including you know the the frustrations, the pluses and the minuses. They all go into a life history. Um, they all go into a journey, as you would uh, as we call it. So if, there's no no reason to be discouraged. If you have a writing gift, it will out. It will come. <laughs> mm-hmm. It will. It will express itself at some point in some way, and it's not just writing it's any any gift the inherent gift that you have. it's not going to be dormant, it will express itself
0: yeah, thank you. That's really encouraging, and I especially appreciated the phrase that you said nothing is ever lost, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I've always kept a reflective journal, you know, even when i my kids were small, I would make notes about what I was learning, what I needed to learn, what was going on in the world beyond the family, so that I was deeply involved, I think, in in reading and writing, particularly after after college. I got married five days after graduating from Whedon College (laughs) and immediately started developing kids. And then later, my husband and I started our own publishing house, and I was the senior editor of that. And after his death, I was the president and continued to publish books. We published books for what we called thoughtful Christians. We started to write, we started to publish uh, literary biographies, you know, outstanding uh, writers who... Uh, were writers of faith. And we also started publishing poetry, which was unheard of among Christian publishers in those days. Poetry was not considered, you know, apart from hymns and sacred verses, that sort of thing. There was very little poetry, you know, being published and read by evangelicals. So we tried to turn the tide on that one. And I think, we were pretty successful because the books all sold very well, and it was during that time that I met Madeline Langle at Wheaton at her literature conference, and we discovered we had a lot of things in common. She had just she'd written some poetry, and I don't know if you've heard this story, but she wrote she'd written some poetry, and it had gone out of print, and because we had our new publishing company, we decided maybe we could bring her poetry back into print and add poems that she was continuing to write. So we did that. We published two bo- volumes of her poetry. And then I asked her at one point, would you write something about the life of the writer of faith? What, how do you combine those two aspects of her life, as a writer and as a Christian. So she wrote Walking on Water. And (laughs) that was quite a remarkable thing. I asked her to write this book. And about eight months later, she handed me this typescript. Of course, nothing was on computers back then. A typescript that was total chaos. (laughs) So uh, I sort of went into seclusion on my living room floor. I made piles of chapters that seemed to work in some kind of logical sequence and then put it all back together again and gave it to her. And she was thrilled. And so from then on, I continued to work with her as an editor and She is an author on 11 of her books, which we published under Shaw Publishers. And during that time, that's what really drew us together. We discovered that we didn't always agree on things. And the discussion that grew out of those disagreements was as enlightening as the agreements themselves, that we could enrich each other by coming at a topic or by a subject from different points of view. And often, you know, there was there was disagreement, but we could learn from each other in those disagreements. And generally we would we would end up on the same page. Madeline liked to shock. She liked to come out with statements that she knew was going to get a reaction. Yeah. And <laughs> I love those things. But I would say, Madeline, you can't say that to evangelicals. And she'd say, well, that's exactly why I should say that. <laughs> so, anyway, sorry, that was a long answer.
0: <laughs> no, that was great. So, a little bit more about your friendship with Madeline. Yeah. Some listeners obviously know that you had a close and lifelong friendship then with her. What thoughts would you offer women about the significance of friendships with other women, particularly in the context of Christian spiritual formation and also, kind of like you were sharing, that intellectual companionship?
1: I think it's vital to have women who are on the same track uh, as you, and even women who diverge from that, but who have interesting, dynamic lives and relationships with God. I, I've i always had a prayer group in my home. We meet every Friday. I had to cancel it this morning because <laughs> because of this uh, interview, but we meet, and, and these are women of, with good minds and solid faith, but full of new ideas and, and interested in learning more. So, Yeah. And these are often women who are younger than I am, but we all seem to be on the same path. I think they look to me for some guidance, but I find I get just as much from them as they might get from me in terms of experience, responses to life, responses to politics. We deal with that a lot these days. And, you know, the just the life of the mind and spirit. It's so rich, it's so full of possibility. And so our discussions, our conversations are never boring. They're always searching and interesting and uh, challenging. So yeah, having having friendships with other women. And also I'm, I'm a member of a, a group of Christian writers called the Christian Society. Are you with that? aware of that?
0: Um, no, say it again.
1: It's a, the Chrysostom Society okay. of Christian Writers, and it's it's not just women, but they're writers of faith who have gotten together to follow the path of St. John Chrysostom. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name means the golden mouth, and so our Ongoing role is to publish into the Christian world works that challenge and open up new avenues of discussion and faith. And this has been going on for 33 years. I was one of the charter members with Richard Foster and Kelvin Miller and Karen Mains. And we started this out, oh, 33 years ago, and it continues to grow. And we add, you know, younger members who are gifted writers. So it's it's a very dynamic relationship. Not just men, but, but not just women, but men and women together.
0: Right, right. So shifting back to poetry, which we talked a little bit about earlier, and just the sort of breaking through on Christian publishing houses, actually publishing poetry. So some of your yeah. own... Po- Maybe, and perhaps this question is going to be equitable to choosing a favorite child. But is there a poem of yours that you would consider to be one of your personal favorites or even one that currently resonates with you now?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> you know, I've done I've done 11 books of poetry. <laughs> and right. at the time of writing all of those all of those poems are my favorites, <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably the most recent ones are my favorites. Well, let's see. Okay, here's one that I just wrote the other day. I wouldn't say it's my favorite of all time, but it's the one that's most recent. Okay. Um, how creation dares us into a wild embrace of what is too beautiful to ignore. You open your front door and breathe, and all the old dust and confusion of your life falls behind you. You are not to remember it, no matter how it calls you. Instead, bend and examine closely how the grass has grown an inch under last night's rain, and the peony buds are swelling, the tips of pink petals already bursting free like prisoners wrongly convicted and now released. There's such generosity out there reaching towards you with hands open, claiming you, claiming you a created being issuing from the open mouth of God. So I view, you know, I think nature and the wilderness has always been my primary source. Of writing and poetry, I'm very much a camper and a a wilder. I used to call myself a wilderness woman because every year I would take my tent out to some distant campground and spend a week with Bible and journal and writing mm-hmm. poetry all by myself. And that was that was an annual event that really kept me in touch with you know the the creation beyond just the human beings human creation right yeah my
0: first introduction to your work was the volume polishing the petoskey stone oh yeah yeah those fossilized coral stones just being so inspirational and that idea of it connecting with who we are and how god has created us to be through just this tiny stone
1: yes yes and we're all in relationship to each other right? so we, we create a pattern maybe maybe we're the pattern in the in the mind of god that's a little bit like the, the patterns in the petrosky stone. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you so much for reading that poem that you just recently wrote.
1: I've got also, more. Oh. <laughs> I've got well, more poems. I cho- I chose about six poems that I thought would work. Oh, um, great. oh, wait a minute. Where did I put them? Here. Here I got them. This is called What My Bones Tell Me, that they'd like a bit of credit for shoring up this fleshy boat in which the soul finds a way to swim the world, for studying this sack, this pouch of blood and fortitude. Spirit needs structure. So God designed this intricate architecture, this construct of body cells that stirs the brain to respond. I cannot get away from me, walking around with secrets inside my box of magic tricks, airways that catch and release the breath, reaching the lungs purely without particulates. A tongue that manages a thousand pleasures, eyes like moments of light. I count on my nerves' reminders. My hungers wear me like a colored tent that God enters at my invitation, and sometimes without it, teaching my flesh obeisance of spirit. And here's another one. (laughs) Night Rainfall. Letting down from the water-laden air, the little fists of rain drum on the skylight above our bed, imparting their vision, their version of the truth of heaven. I know that often the rain will hold off, the grass darken and burn, even the flies grow listless. And that, too, is a half-heaven gift, calling us to be more thankful when the heavy clouds burst open over the fields, as a fresh and fragrant cool sweeps in. We open our windows. We breathe the change that renews us. How lucky that a poem can be made of nothing much, that we don't need to wait for weather to shift— Words arriving from somewhere, spattering like rain on a page. So those are a few recent ones.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing those. So recently you also wrote a book through InterVarsity Press entitled Adventure of Ascent, Field Notes from a Lifelong Journey, where you tackle a number of topics, including aging, immortality, spiritual growth, pilgrimage, and more. And related to your own spiritual growth, what practices or spiritual disciplines would you say have helped you grow through various
1: life stages? I think the habit of listening, Hmm. of learning to be aware, of learning to respond to the various initiatives that life seems to call upon you. You know there's the whole family, the whole the whole relationship of parent to child, the relationship of husband to wife, but also the the relationship of the human being to the rest of the world around them, particularly the world of nature. so I think you have to learn the habit of awareness and you know i keep a little notebook very often when i'm reading a magazine or a journal or a book a word or a phrase will sort of jump off the page and i write it in my journal i know it's something that i want to expand on that it's it's like a key opening a lock <laughs> into mm. a new work, into a new piece of, of writing. So awareness and response, and I think this is where the Holy Spirit of God really works very powerfully for me, sort of awakening me, uh, keeping me aware, keeping me open. You know, there's always something new ahead, uh, and I'm saying that as <laughs> As a 90-year-old woman, I'm hoping that life continues to open itself to me. And this is work of God's spirit. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And how would you say, then, that your art or the creative process connects you to the person of Jesus?
1: Well, I like Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) he's pretty good. I view Jesus as the Word. I particularly like those first verses in the Gospel of John about the Logos, the Word. In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and through Him and before Him, not anything was made that was made. So He's the the primary it's like the word that calls the world into being and that's my understanding of of who jesus is for me is this word this mm. word that became a body a human body and it lived on earth to sort of connect us i think as human beings with the divine and it was you know a very brief lifespan but still it it gave the world like a model, a model of how to live in relationship with God and mm-hmm. continues to be through the work of the Spirit. Yeah, I think that's, was that what the? Yeah, yeah, you
0: absolutely answered it. Thank you. So, and then part of the book, Adventure of Ascent, uh, you write about inevitable death as we're talking about lifespan, the short lifespan of Jesus, but then death is inevitable for all of us. And you wrote, dying is an unshrinking reality that can't be euphemized with any authenticity except by those who are already dead and who, because the lines of communication have been severed, cannot tell us what it was like I want to cut to the bone about this business of being old and getting older so you'll know and understand so you'll know and not fear. And those are great words just to comfort us, right? As we grow older. And for me, several people in my life around my age, I'm close to 40, have recently died rather unexpectedly uh-huh. and I've been yeah. grappling with my own mortality and sort of working through some of my own yeah. fear. What thoughts can you yeah. offer those of us who are working
1: through those fears? You know, I think I think it's so universal this fear of the unknown. What what is it going to be like after we die? Are we going to be conscious? Are we going to be the same? Are we going to be transformed in some ways? And because you know, no no one comes back to tell us. It's, you know, Lazarus came back, <laughs> but he Thanks. never told us what it was like. And I think that this is there's some fear. I think that because it is an unknown, there's some fear. What, what will it be like? Will it be painful or discouraging? Or, or will we even be conscious? We don't know. Hmm. We don't know. So I think there is this universal fear uh, of the unknown. But I I also have had a couple of friends die recently who were powerful women of faith. and. Who had utter confidence that they were simply entering into God's presence, and to watch that happen and to, to see the lack of fear and the the lack of remorse hmm. was very powerfully. It motivated me to be able to end my life somewhat like that. Yeah, hmm. yeah. you were also asking about <laughs> my existential questions and my doubts. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, this has been a sort of recurring question for me. I don't want to ever cut myself off from questions. I think that you can become so enclosed and so dogmatic about your faith unless you're willing to be open to other possibilities. And in my book that I wrote uh, for End of Varsity, The Thumbprint and the Clay, mm-hmm. I wrote an a whole chapter about my encounter with Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan priest and a spiritual director, whose ministry has really drastically opened up my life, taken away from me some of the doubts, so that I'm able to sort of rest in the fact that, you know, the the basic principle of this whole world is love. And that's not a simplistic statement. That's the way God created us to be in relationship with each other and with the world around us. It has to be love. And he has this, he calls us the univocal voice. In other words, the whole of creation, that whether we see it as difficult or demanding or painful or cruel, all of it is under the the overarching love of God. Mm. And, you know, I've been able to rest in that understanding so that, you know, I still have questions, but that my doubts have been put to rest as far as, you know, the ultimate direction of my life and and the meaning of my life.
0: So then related to earlier talking about your experience as in, was it the Plymouth Brethren? And then sort of finding freedom outside of that to use your voice as a woman. What advice or thoughts would you offer women, particularly women in academia who are finding it difficult to use their voice or be heard, if that makes sense?
1: Oh, well, I think, you know, this is, this is an age when women are finally finding their voices. It's a struggle, and I don't understand why. I think <laughs> I think the men in our lives, even they're, if they're really supportive, they don't understand what it's like to be a woman. Mm-hmm. They don't have some of the emotional baggage that we tend to carry, and that has a, a lot to do, I think, with our hormones and our the fact that the women's emotions tend to be I think I think more expressed, easily expressed than men can express their emotions. Mm. So, I, But this is a wonderful time in the world for women to come together to use their gifts to be mouthpieces. I think in the political realm, I'm really hoping that we can have a woman present. I think it would be remarkable if we had a woman who was strong enough and visionary enough and savvy enough to lead our country. And, you know, there's been a lot of difficulties. Uh, The whole Me Too movement, women being under attack and uh, being seen as victims or seeming to be, I'm not expressing this very well, but. You know, women really, I think, coming together and supporting each other in a way that may not have been possible in the past, and that's part mm-hmm. of it because our communication systems are have you know been developing so rapidly, and we we are in touch with each other.
0: Is there okay. anything that you wanted to to share that I haven't asked?
1: Okay, well, maybe I'll just read one more poem. <laughs> yes please okay let's see what i've got here okay this is called diurnal (laughs) how the days open and close like windows so we grow weary of neither light nor darkness as they achieve their fine balance we have come to count on this as we count on food and drink and love The sun rises like a man from his bed getting to work for us as we move through the hours. If you have errands to run or wish to simply sit and read, he is there for you. And at day's end, having earned his keep and retired, you wish him a good night's sleep. And if you are out late walking, you will be grateful if the moon woman paints the streets with her pale pewter laying a silver garment over roofs and chimneys, and later, sending her hand through your window. Even if you cannot sleep, you give thanks. So that's just sort of an understanding of the daily rhythms of life and how illuminating they are to me.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Well, here's another question. So I want to conclude with the question. We always ask our guests to conclude with a quote or scripture or other set of words that have been meaningful to you lately. But before that, let me ask, is there a book that you have gifted to others more like the most?
1: Oh, Oh my goodness, that's that's a huge question because I'm giving books away all the time. <laughs> I, the, the most recent book I just read was by Carolyn Forché, who is a poet and an activist and was involved in El Salvador uh, during the terrible time when the population was rising up and being crushed mm. uh, and aided by U.S. forces, and she went there. To El Salvador as a quite young woman, I think in her 20s, to observe and to record what was going on. They wanted a poet because they thought she would see things from a different angle. And mm-hmm. she's written this wonderful book, What You Have Heard Is True. And it's the most beautifully written book, and full of a sort of mystery and the, and the difficulties of living under... That political system that was pushing down the local, you know the the, the indigenous people. So that's that's the book I would recommend.
0: <laughs> okay, it sounds great. Yeah, and then to conclude, is there a quote or scripture or other set of words? Oh yes,
1: yes, I, awesome. yes, I do. Ha- I have one for you. <laughs> okay, Hold great. On, let me just pull it up here. Okay, it's in Romans eight. This is Romans eight twenty six. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the very Spirit intercedes with a size too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So that's that's a, a powerful verse that encourages me. And also earlier in chapter 8, uh, it says, this, uh, we are pregnant with God. It's like mm-hmm. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I always think of Mary being pregnant with Christ. And we have that same opportunity to have Christ grow within us as human beings who've been implanted by God.
0: Thank you. That's so encouraging. Thank you again, Lucy, for your time and for your wisdom. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond. This is Caroline Trissick, and information about our guests can be found on our podcast page at thewell.intervarsity.org slash podcasts. This has been a production of Women in the Academy and Professions, a focused ministry initiative of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. We value the contribution of podcast guests who are not employed by InterVarsity, and we acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may or may not represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. Thank you for joining our conversation as we engage in faith and life together. We'd love to hear your feedback. To share your thoughts or to learn more about who we are or the resources and connections we provide, We invite you to visit us at our online gathering place, The Well. You can find us at thewell.intervarsity.org.